This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Small Biz America. The Brain. He's George Lovato Jr., the president and principal of BH Capital Limited. Merchant banker, consultant, author, and lecturer, George Lovato has extensive management experience in startups, corporate finance, computer systems, software development, international trade relations, strategic planning, and sales and marketing development. He's also the author of the new book, The Obstacle Course, packed with lessons learned and practical business advice. It is a must-read for people starting a business, running a business, or if you're an executive, seeking some insight and inspiration. Joining us on the line from BH Capital Limited headquarters in Albuquerque, New Mexico, to share his entrepreneurial perspective and insight is George Lovato. George, welcome to the program. David, thanks for having me on, and happy Wednesday to you. Thank you. And of course, for those listening in the long tail, it could be any day. But for you and I, we're sharing Wednesday. (laughs) You got it. You got it. The most important day of the week. Absolutely. It's the, it's the middle. And I wanted to start from, well, not the middle. I wanted to start with you. If you could, in, to the extent you can do it in shorthand, tell us the story, this process you went through as a young 24-year-old to, to build a business within the auto rental industry, an information system that supports that, and then take it public. What did that look like and how did you do it? It was a fun time when you're invincible, you have unlimited energy when you're young, uh, and you get the bright idea without any prior experience that suddenly you're, the rental car industry is calling your name. You have to start not only a local company, but then um, uh, something grabs a hold of you yet again, and you want to take the company and introduce it on the national stage. No prior experience. Uh, my educational background was uh, in health sciences. I had run and helped build a successful business with my father prior to the start of uh, the rental car operation. I had given him a sort of a lead that, you know, I was anticipating the possibility of moving out on my own. And, of course, he wanted to be included. But I said, look, if it works, great. I'll invite you along once it's successful. If it doesn't, I'm going to need to come back to this business and and essentially earn a living. (laughs) Plan B. Uh, He understood that. He understood that very well. And so off I went, uh, pulled my uh, best friend in as my partner. And we'd started the process uh, with 13 used rental cars. And the concept there was choose or select the cars, buy the cars and put in service that were used that didn't have a changing body style from the current year. As a result, it looked, walked, and talked like the current year model cars that Hertz Avis National and Budget had out on the road. 
but uh, at a, approximately uh, a half to two-thirds the cost. But we were getting very close to what those big guys were charging on a daily rate basis. So 13 used cars, and one day my partner and I uh, stood arm-in-arm arm, uh, looking out the back window at the 13 cars, and he looked at me and I looked at him, and, and he said, what do you think's wrong with this picture? And I said, all the cars are here. And so we said, we better do something to get them out on the road. And off he went, uh, uh, forging alliances with local hotels, getting overflow from the other rental car companies, and away we went. Not too long after that, the company started showing uh, very strong profitability, and we set forth on building a national franchise, sort of the best Western car rental. We took previously successful pre-existing operations that were considered independent car rental operations. They weren't associated with any flag or franchise. And we went to them, made our case, and said, you maintain your autonomous independence. You know your market. Here's what we want you to do. Here's the services we're providing. We're going to give you the business via connection of an 800 number and a an airline reservation connection. Those That airline reservations, those systems back then, were connected to all the travel agencies, and they were responsible for about 80% of the business that flowed through Hertz Avis National and Budget. Uh, I was the first of my kind to connect to Sabre, PARS, and Apollo, which were owned by the major airlines. And uh, away yes. we went. We sold the story. We sold the plan. Before we ever had the 800 number up and running, we had 10 people come on board. Before we ever connected to the airline reservation systems, we had about 25 locations. And we were on a roll. But when you're on that big of a roll, so to speak, you've got to put fuel in the gas tank. And we were using every available source of capital we had to fund that expansion, and therefore that um, set us on, on a concomitant path, which was to form new capital for that venture. And uh, went and raised some private money from friends, family, and former enemies, and then uh, went forward and got some advice from some good people and some not-so-good people and uh, raised a little more money. Uh, then the process started where I had to connect the airline reservation systems and get that up and running in order to really round out what uh, the business model was at that time. And so I was juggling about 20 balls in the air simultaneously. But yeah. you're young, you've got all the energy in the world, and you're invincible. So uh, risk was, <laughs> was never a consideration at that time. Uh, but it was a fun ride. Uh, ultimately, I was able to get the consensus of all the airline reservation systems. I was able to put the, all the locations uh, up on that system, generate a tremendous volume of business for uh, the licensees at that time, and we move forward with uh, the, on the path of uh, going public. It, you know, had I fully known what was involved in that process, I may not have attempted it at that time because the business itself needed so much attention. But there was a conflict where we had to infuse capital, and it had to come in big numbers. And that was the only financial model at the time where you uh, could raise two, five, ten million dollars 
publicly, get your stock trading, uh, gain access to additional capital through that same vehicle, both privately and publicly, and uh, continue to put fuel in the tank. So that was the the driving force, had to have the fuel in the tank, and uh, it was a very, very rough go. And George, uh, all of this, I'm guessing, really, truly informed. And by the way, congratulations on your book, The Obstacle Course. There's an arc that you went through as an entrepreneur from your mid-20s onward, understanding how to form capital and how to infuse it into a private company like your own, eventually a public company. So as you and I discussed offline, let's walk through a bit some of the lessons, the principles that you describe in The Obstacle Course. And uh, you know, you can kind of tell us and talk to us a little bit about what each of them means and meant to you as you were going through this process. The first, of course, is follow your inner voice. That is your gut. Uh, A lot of people mistake that uh, as the little voice they hear in the back of their head that they shouldn't listen to. But in a lot of cases, many cases, uh, that voice, that inner voice that, that you listen to every day is a very strong guiding element in terms of influencing outcome. Your, your gut tells you whether that's a solid professional that you're dealing with, whether it's a, a, a very uh, good opportunity. Uh, it'll also tell you uh, what to stay away from. If you train yourself to listen to it, then you'll, you'll see that it becomes part of your daily process to sit back and listen for what that echo is. Is this quantum physics? I mean, are you really, it's that kind of deepness, isn't it? it? It's really, it's very deep inside you, and it comes from a place you can't readily identify. And, it's, and, the, and, and what you hear is different every time. Uh, I've tried to get people to pay attention to it, and some are very receptive to it. Others say, I don't hear anything. And it's really because they're tuning out the the sort of sensation or the yeah. uh, vibrations that that they're receiving around them, mm. and that's really what what it is. It's sort of a filter. It's a uh, a very strong loudspeaker that you can train yourself to to hear uh, readily after a while. After you you sort of feel it, touch it, um, and use it, it it becomes part of you. George, you talk about visualizing to control outcomes. And this is very different than what most entrepreneurs have are are perhaps ideas or maybe they're good ideas. But visualizing an outcome is a very different thing, isn't it? Yes. Visualization was big uh, in uh, sports. Uh, They, you know, many of the trainers and coaches uh, taught athletes. uh, If you were a skier, you had to see yourself going through every single gate down the hill and visualize yourself and your body mechanics uh, through that race period, that that time, and then visualizing essentially your speed, the feel of speed. Uh, It was very effective, and it worked, and it it, uh, proved to be uh, a very valuable tool for Olympic athletes, you know, in the late 60s and mid-70s. Visualization in business is very similar to that in an athletic application with one defining difference, and that is when I talk about visualization, 
if you have a plan in from you, some kind of business plan, some kind of opportunity that you're evaluating, and you've decided to go forward with it, and you know what you would like to have happen, that's what you need to visualize in your mind. You need to see that outcome. You need to experience that outcome. And just like you would if you if you were watching a movie in color uh, on television or on a screen, that's what you want to see in your mind. Visualize that over and over and over again, and it's very surprising in the beginning when you learn how to visualize how close, if not right on, that visualization and that outcome align themselves uh, to the real world. If you're just joining us, we're visiting with George Lovato. He's the author of The Obstacle Course, president of BH Capital Limited, that website, www.bhcapitalltd.com. When you talk about creating a business, you're doing it with people, partners, strategic partners, internal customers, call them what you like. And I know that uh, you learned a lot about, about how to choose people in a particular enterprise as you were going through this path where you're involved with a friend and your father. Talk to us a little bit about, well, the importance of people, but, but how you look at choosing who to work with. I broke all the rules, first of all. Uh, you're not supposed to do business with family. You're certainly not supposed to partner with your best friend. And in both those instances, uh, we were very successful. My father and I, uh, for 35 years, had a very successful business. We, in fact, this past January uh, uh, 2010, um, we finally sold that business. Uh, he, at 80 years of age, decided that uh, it was time for him to retire. Uh, and, and in the case of my best friend, he was the most reliable sales and marketing professional I've ever worked with in my life. And he was very, very effective in that business, both as the independent rental car company as we began that business and as it morphed into that national company. He was very, very effective. He had a very good work ethic, and he was fun to work with. He made the most stressful times uh, more than fun. I'll tell you, I, I don't know how he converted uh, uh, my perception sometimes uh, in, in the midst of crisis, but he, he had that way of sort of taking the edge off situations. Wow. Uh, he was fantastic at uh, keeping us on message and keeping us on point. Very effective with people. People, 90% of the people he met absolutely loved this guy. He had this ter- tremendous com- charisma about him. And the other 10%, uh, you know, could take him or leave him. Just, but the 90% was the important one. Yeah. That doesn't happen with any of us. I mean, you know, we got a 50-50 shot that somebody's going to enjoy our company. That's right. And in his case, it was just an overwhelming percentage that uh, really enjoyed him as a person and him as a sales professional. The difficulty that I had is I had a lot of professionals understand the business model and become enthused about the business model and certainly about the overall opportunity that we were creating. And they just wanted to, in many cases, wanted to come along and just take that ride and really not put anything into it. Uh, They wanted to just see if they could capitalize on our hard work and all of the money and capital that we were infusing into the business. So we learned that just because you're a lawyer, just because you're a CPA, doesn't necessarily mean you're a good guy. And so we went through a fair number of professionals before we were able to coalesce the the right team, if you will, that ultimately was successful in getting that company public, whereby everyone had the same vision and everybody was putting in equally. 
So it's very important that, you know, if you're going to break the rules, you better have some rules. And those rules are, uh, if it's in the case of family, define your roles and be sure that you uh, understand what capacities, what skills, what gifts that each of you have. In the case of working with friends, if you do choose to do that, uh, follow that same rule. But then there's another uh, rule that's very, very important, and that is continue to set goals for one another out on the horizon. Don't become stagnant. Uh, your friendship is built on a certain level of trust, and there's a tremendous advantage of that to that in business. And so build on that trust, but set goals for one another. Keep each other enthusiastic about the, the look forward. And be careful about who you choose when it comes to professionals. Make sure that you know their place in the community. Make sure that they've got the type of experience in being successful in your particular opportunity. And make sure that you get that good gut feeling about them. Listen to that inner voice. And that will help you select the right professionals. George, we've talked about the importance of visualizing an outcome. When it comes to planning, projecting, and planning and projecting, how do you approach that in business, and how do you suggest your clients approach it? I always tell this story, and it still makes me laugh to this day. If you would have seen my first business plan, first of all, the the typos were numerous. The misspellings were uh, countless. And the uh, overall grammar and structure was absolutely horrific. It was a hard message to get across in, in terms of what we were trying to do. And we did it very quickly. We didn't take the time to really sit down. And we, we thought the numbers out. But we didn't think out what that, that written message, that verbal message, was going to be in that business. Hmm. Planning, 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 planning. Um, sit down. Take the time. And now, you know, this when I when I built that business plan, this was long before you you know the PC was as common as it is today. Oh yeah. And so I sat at a typewriter and I got tired of using whiteout. So that's basically <laughs> I, I run right. through the process. But the important element of the plan is it makes you think. And it and it makes you in terms of your creative juices, it makes those creative juices uh, cook. And that's what you need. Whenever you're approaching a business or you're approaching an opportunity within a business, sit down, write it out, think it out, write it out. Uh, and that's what I say when I say plan, project, plan, project. You, we go back to that issue of visualization. If you're writing something down and you can hear it in your mind's uh, eye, essentially your, your mind's ear, and you can see it in your mind's eye, uh, Things are going to change because more of that creativity is going to cause you to think a little bit more, expand your thought process a little bit greater. And so you're going to have to go back and you're going to have to see what that that picture looks like. Projection, visualization, project what that those changes are and how that goal, that goal line may have shifted a little bit. And go back and plan again and then project again. And as you do that, it really gives your mind an opportunity to analyze uh, not only the opportunity, but you know your own behaviors and capabilities and potentials in the opportunity. So it's a lot about what you do, and it's a lot about, again, getting back to that inner voice, getting that inner voice to talk to you, listen to it, 
it's very important on a go-forward basis. You've pointed to the power of learning as you go. This is all a process, of course. Uh, I would imagine that you're never quite satisfied. You're moving through to the next destination. Talk to us, if you would, about about the power of learning as you go and, and, and how not to be afraid to be taught and, and how to be a good listener. Sometimes we're f- so filled with our our own energy and and Mm. so filled with the opportunity that we forget to listen to what people around us, not only our inner voice, but what people around us uh, can see that maybe we can't. And maybe there's an individual around you that has been through that very same process or opportunity before. Listen to what that person has to say. Sometimes it's very difficult to do because we're so enthusiastic and we're 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 so excited about what it is that we're doing that we forget to be uh, a little more uh, collected about uh, what we're we're really doing. We we have a tendency not to be as objective, and so people around you were very important at those times because in in many many cases people will share with you what they see and what they've experienced, listen to it. And you'll find that that will become an invaluable tool uh, at times that you're uh, evaluating opportunity. When you talk about, and I'm reading here from our notes uh, pre the, the session, Providence, quote, sometimes our success is just not up to us alone. What are you saying? I uh, was working for, for months and months and months on getting the biggest airline in the world to list my little rental car system uh, on their uh, airline reservation uh, uh. system, and and it and it was it was a, it was a strange series of events. I I didn't have the tools uh, technically to understand how big corporations work, and and it was a very strange. Foreign place for me to work in. Yeah. I did find someone in that airline that did uh, latch onto the cause, so to speak, and tried to work me up the food chain to get an approval. Sure. After months and months and months, they rejected me, and I was in Dallas, Texas, at their headquarters. Mm-hmm. And uh, away I, I go on the return flight, and I had to go tell my dad and and uh, my partner that I wasn't successful, and these guys just didn't get it. Right. They didn't understand it. Right. Uh, they didn't see the concept of the best Western a car rental. And because it was new, they just didn't want to mess with it. So what do you do when you got a few extra minutes in an airport? You get your shoe shined. And the worst question that that poor shoe shine man could have possibly asked me was, how's your day going? Yes. So I told him the story, and this very crisp man uh, came up very soon after I started telling him the shoe shine man my woes, and I and and had I been paying attention at that time, which I wasn't, I would have noticed that there was sort of a snap too. There was suddenly an attention by the two shoe shine men that were at that uh, little stand, mm. and he seemed to be leaning in and listening a little bit. The shoeshine guy was, he was a great fellow, and he said, well, you know, you're going to make it. It's going to work. I, I can feel it. I, you know, I want to wish you luck, and I paid him. And the guy, the very crisp gentleman, leaned over, and he said, pardon me for overhearing, but would you tell me a little bit more about what you're trying to do? 
And I, I you know, anybody who'd listen, I, I'd tell him at that point. And so I told this guy the story, and he said, and he was finishing up his shoe shine. He says, "Why don't you come with me?" And he, we walked down the concourse of ways and went into this room, and uh, it was under. Uh, Remodeling, it was being repaired, reconstructed, whatever you want to call it. There was wires hanging everywhere, and he yeah. dials up. There's a phone on the wall, and he dialed a, a number to get out, and then he dialed in, and he said, "Let me talk to so and so." And that these were the people that I had just met with. Oh my gosh! And he said, "Hi, I've listened to this. You just had a meeting," and he's telling him, "He said you just had a meeting." Uh, with George Lovato Jr., and he says, I want this revisited again. I think this is great for the system. <laughs> and he said, I'd like, I'd like to get him back over there right away. And, of course, there was obviously a yes, sir, <laughs> whatever you want, sir. And uh, My he, goodness. Yeah, it, it, it was the most amazing experience. And he said, listen, let me direct you. Uh, there's a car that's going to come uh, right out front here, and it's going to have our logo on it. Uh, just, just wave him down, and it'll take you right back to the Sabre headquarters. And back oh, to the boy. Sabre headquarters I went. I was immediately ushered uh, to the executive offices again, and it, was, it wasn't, it was we don't like it, we don't get it, we don't, it's how fast can we engineer the telephone lines to get to you. And this is an area, just a slight tangent, technical tangent, this was pre-internet as we know oh, yeah. it. yeah. I mean, you're talking, what, this is the 80s <laughs> this now, is where right? you, Yeah, I mean, it took weeks and weeks and weeks to engineer a the specific type of telephone line from yeah. um, a switching center to your office, mm. and you had to get technical people to install um, the computer terminals and the printers and all these wonderful things. You know, the fascinating thing about the model that you built, uh, you th- I mean, a car rental is clearly the brick and mortar of all brick and mortars, but what you did very early, I, I don't know that too many businesses were connecting information systems to brick and mortar to leverage as a growth strategy. Did I say that in a way that you would say it? Yeah, we were moving way ahead of that uh, curve. And what was happening with us is we we recognized the power of that customer that rented that car. We knew that he was going to stay in a hotel and he had just gotten off an airplane. And he was going to get back on one after he returned that car to us. So he was going to spend a significant amount of money. And so we then moved into... Uh, another area where we connected that customer, and that was a hotel reservation system. And then ultimately we connected some regional airlines so that we were actually the first to uh, coin the phrase fly, rest, and drive. Yes. And uh, we, we started to become uh, a minor player, if you want to call it that. And then all of a sudden, here's the, you know, the rush of the PC. Uh, the Internet still isn't there, but now information technology is moving at a slightly faster pace. Um, we started to create alliances with uh, other companies that already had the connectivity, uh, such as Western Union and, and ITT. And uh, we, were, we were moving very rapidly towards that. And the holding company was a company that uh, was designed to create capital for all three facets of the fly, rest, and drive. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so it was sort of, it, it, when I look back at it, it, you know, each one of those elements were the clones of one another, uh, the, the car rental, the hotel, and the airline connectivity. Uh, had I done it today, 
you know, say say it had been maybe ten or fifteen years later, yeah. with the advent of the internet, mm-hmm. it, it would be uh, the model would have moved much faster, and it would have been far less expensive, right, uh, to fuel. Right. When you talk about the human emotional part of being an entrepreneur, running a complex operating business, um, crises come up. What have you learned about how to handle these from an emotional standpoint? Every crisis that I've ever, and I learned this early in the process, when my father and I would sit down and we'd look at the, when we were faced with a crisis and we'd, we'd say, okay, you know, how do we resolve it? Once we understood the origin of the crisis, where it came from, we could always resolve it. I love that. And so I, I tell people that come into my office and, and they, they're in an existing business and they're faced with something they've never seen before, uh, they don't know how to resolve it, it becomes a crisis, I will always get them to look back, where did this come from? And when they understand that, when they, it, the, the, uh, the resolution sort of feeds itself. It's a, it's a question that resolves itself once you understand the origin. Uh, the power of asking the right question. Right, exactly, mm, exactly. Mm. And people don't want to deal uh, with a whirling dervish. You don't want to see this out-of-control, crisis-oriented manager or business principal that seems to move from crisis to crisis. Right. And right. that's not a way to run any kind of business. I don't care where you are or how big the business is. Some people, that is their style, albeit not very effective, mm. but that is their style. I when I see those people, I try to tell them, look, there is a different way, and there is a more successful methodology, and that is eliminate the crisis by understanding its origin, and then maintain your self-control. People, in a, uh, the, the management that you, that you surround yourself with are going to respect and follow leadership when you're calm and controlled, as opposed to when you're not. And it's hard to take direction from somebody that's overtaken by, by crisis. Absolutely. And finally, as we walk through the principles from the obstacle course, George Lovato, we should take time to enjoy the success and accomplishments, shouldn't we? We absolutely should. And the greatest lesson I had was it was all business all the time, 24-7, 365. I was totally consumed. My personal friendships uh, had gone by the wayside. I was not investing in my friends, so to speak, and my friendships and the relationships that I'd had for quite some time, other than the people that were immediately involved in the business, which was a very, very small circle. And it's... it, it, it was a it was a mistake, and it was also a mistake that I wasn't investing, in, other than the time that I spent with my father, because we were so interconnected into the business. The rest of my family hardly ever saw me, and I really again was neglecting what what what's important. And as we would reach these milestones, I was on to the next opportunity. I was on to the next. Uh, part of the plan, and that was a mistake because there was so much to enjoy along the way. And so, what I tell when I when I advise uh, business professionals today, I always say, look, um, if you don't take the time to enjoy uh, the small victories along the way, the battle will wear you out. 
and it'll wear everyone out around you, including your friends and family. And so if it's, even if it's the smallest victory, celebrate it. Find a way to celebrate it and celebrate it with the people you love. And I, I also try to get this across to everybody that, you know, if we, if we overburden ourselves with worry, uh, that is a tremendous amount of energy wasted. Uh, it takes away from our creative uh, abilities. It takes away from our ability to, uh, as I say, invest in your friends and family. And you shouldn't worry about things that haven't happened. Uh, deal with the issues at hand and, and deal with your, you know, and plan for your goals, but don't worry about things that haven't happened. Because we get up every day. The biggest risk we take every day is attempting to create opportunity for ourselves. Yes. That is pressure enough. And so move forward on that basis. Uh, enjoy the small victories. Take time for your family. And uh, take time to give back to the community as well. Extraordinary stuff. George Lovato, author of The Obstacle Course, a new book that uh, we just outlined through this segment. We'll do it again for sure. The website, www.bhcapitalltd.com. That's BH Capital. George Lovato has been our guest here on The Small Biz Brain. George, we'll do it again. Great. Thank you, David. I really enjoyed it this morning. Small Biz America. The Brain. Online at smallbizamerica.com. Small Biz. Small Biz America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.